Hey everyone, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Welcome to my Everything That You Need to Know series, a series where I break down everything that you need to know about all these different macroeconomic, stock market, crypto topics in about, we'll say 10 minutes, but lately it's been not 10 minutes. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be super freaking cool. Today, we are going to be talking about inflation. This is something I get asked about a lot. Hopefully, this will be a really good resource for you to go back to. I'm going to talk about what inflation is, what causes it, the different types of inflations, the response, the impact, also investing ideas for inflationary environments. All right, so what is inflation? What is this thing that keeps on popping up in the news that everybody's freaking out about? There's a lot of different definitions of inflation. I'm going to just do the very, very, very basic one. This is the upward movement in prices of goods and services over time. It's also known as the decline in purchasing power over time. If things get more expensive, you're ultimately going to be able to purchase less of them. If your apple all of a sudden is going from $3 to $5, which would be a very expensive apple, your purchasing power has declined in the price of that good, the apple has increased. There's a few different types of inflation. So there's cost push inflation. This is from the producer perspective. Apple producing their iPhones, they are going to have different inputs into the iPhone production process. And if any one of those inputs get more expensive, that's going to put inflationary pressures on Apple and their production process for the iPhone. There's also demand pull inflation. So this is the consumer perspective. Oftentimes more people want something than is available. So this is when everybody wants an iPhone, right? That causes the price of the iPhone to increase because like 10 people want an iPhone, but there's only five iPhones available. So that's going to cause the price of this iPhone product to increase. Milton Friedman had the very famous saying, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So the two things that I just described are supply and demand mechanics. In Milton Friedman's eyes, inflation was not really caused by cost push, not really caused by demand pull, but the root cause was monetary stuff. This equation, MV equals PT, what that means is the money supply times velocity is equal to the price level times volume of transactions. When the money supply increases, that's going to result in inflationary pressures because there's more money chasing the same amount of goods and the same level of production. So you have to have a level of economic growth to compound the money supply increase. But his idea was that inflation is a monetary phenomenon. There's a few different ways to measure inflation. The one that came out yesterday that came out pretty high, well, I would say it came out pretty spicy, was the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. This used to be determined by comparing the price of a fixed basket of goods and services over two different time periods. They did enact changes to reflect the changes in the cost of living over time. The BLS, which is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is the one who calculates the CPI. CPI, they described the CPI as a measure of the average change in the price of goods and services purchased by households over time on an average day-to-day -day basis. It represents cost of basket of goods and services across the country. They calculate on a monthly basis, and those goods and services that they calculate are broken down into eight major groups, housing, apparel, transportation, education, other goods, recreation, medical care, and food. CPI is pretty important because social security and different types of government securities are actually tied to it. If inflation increases, if the cost of living increases, social security payments are going to rise along with that. Essentially, you can think about the CPI as a measure of what consumers are purchasing on a month-to-month -month basis. And if all of a sudden you go to Target, let's say, and you get a TV, you get food, you get, you fill up your gas pump at Target for fuel, 
you buy clothes at Target, for example, let's say you buy that same basket of goods every single month, that's sort of going to be how they calculate inflation, right? So that basket of goods and services and how that's increasing over time. Just talking about how the CPI is used in context, the CPI came in really hot, 0.9% increase month over month, a 6.2% increase this year, which is pretty steep, right? For context on what those numbers look like, the Fed wants 2% increase in inflation per year. So the fact that we got 0.9% in one month is pretty high. If you look, just for example, at the CPI, they do this awful publishing style, which is just terrible. But you can see that food at home increased 1% in October. Energy commodities increased 6%. Uh, oil increased 12%. So oil has driven a lot of the increase in prices because of all the different stuff that's going on with OPEC because of the underinvestment in the capital structure there. And also used cars and trucks. So this has been a, another core driver of inflation recently. Joe Weisenthal had a really interesting paper on it where people aren't defaulting. So there's just not a lot of used cars going around because the supply is so low. When you think about the CPI in context. So we're talking, you know, 6.2% increase over the year, 0.9% increase over the month. Well, you're like, oh, surely there's some sort of base effects. We did just come out of the other side of a pandemic. And yes, that's very, very true. When we think about inflation right now, a lot of dialogue is that this will be transitory. So used cars are expensive right now, but once we get more used cars, theoretically, the price of used cars are going to go down. Once we get more oil pumping, bummer, I hate that, the price of oil is going to go down. A lot of this stuff could be transitory where we do end up producing more. There's also the PPI, which is the producer price index that calculates and represents the average movement and selling prices from domestic production over time. So basically that's how much it costs for different producers to produce things. The people who are producing iPhones, the people who are producing cars, if it gets more expensive for them to produce items, they're going to pass this cost off to consumers. It's going to cause more inflation down the road. There's also the PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditure. This is what the Fed uses to calculate inflation. It's a broader range of expenditures and it's also weighted by business surveys versus consumer surveys like how the CPI is calculated. The PCE is what the Fed prefers because it does include a little bit more in, in its calculation and includes a little bit more of the expenditure data. This is also important to talk about. So real estate, uh, rents is what they use to calculate inflation within the CPI, but real estate prices are on fire right now. There is not enough homes, like there's just not enough homes. And this is also because regulation and policy is very, very bad. What causes inflation, right? So we talked about the different ways to calculate inflation, but what actually is causing these things to move? So there's a few key things that are happening right now. Three main things. Uh, supply chain is, is an absolute nightmare. Then there's a labor shortage because there's issues with wages. There's issues with people going back to work. And then there's really high consumer demand. And in underlying those last two variables is the unprecedented amount of stimulus that we had during the pandemic. So we had the Fed going in and buying up bonds. And then we had the fiscal policy, right? So the U.S. government being like, okay, here's stimulus checks. Go buy things. They were really trying to encourage demand. They were really trying to keep people spending because if people weren't spending, that was going to cause an economic contraction, just be really, really bad. We had stimulus that was like, go spend money. People are still spending money. All of this has put a lot of pressure on supply chains. So if you think back to the idea of cost push inflation, right? So an increase in the cost of producing goods for producers, that is going to come down to this supply chain breakdown, right? So that's the cost push inflation. And then also labor shortages are going to tie into cost push inflation too. And then demand pull is going to be consumer demand. We're just seeing all of this stuff be compounded 
by the impacts of the pandemic. Right now, the number was so high that we saw yesterday because there is still some element of base effects. It is November, so the economy was normalizing about a year ago, but we are just seeing like still the impacts of the pandemic. We're still seeing people respond to that unprecedented amount of stimulus. Businesses sold off inventory. They went bankrupt with cars, used cars. Part of the problem there is that people sold off their fleets. They were like, I don't know what to do. That's why we want to know if things are transitory, meaning that will prices stop increasing eventually as it's just recovering from the pandemic. But I think with this narrative of transitory, the the Fed had to clarify what they meant because everyone was like, this isn't transitory. What do you mean? When you think about it, prices never stop increasing. We're never going to go back to the 1960s where it was like, I don't know, five cents for a loaf of bread. Prices are always going to be increasing. It's just at the rate of increase that we're a little bit worried about. That's how we have to think about inflation in that context. We cannot have runaway inflation. Like that would obviously be very, very bad. But the idea that prices are going to go back down, I think is is just not in the cards. And then also um, when you think about what causes it, Uh, the increase in money supply. So the money supply increases over time as the population grows. It has to. We have to have dollars for more people. As the economy grows, it also gets into the idea of how money is being used. This was a really good podcast with Colin on uh, We Study Billionaires, and I'll include that link below. But he was talking about how if the expansive money supply is used to create an amazing invention, that's net net good. There's different ways that we can think about the increase in the money supply. People oftentimes use the money supply as a political piece. There was a TikTok comment around how the Fed is trying to destroy the world through the money supply. If you get back into the idea of the monetary theory, so MV equals PT, it's sort of a weird argument, but velocity has been really low for a long time. So velocity of the money supply, meaning how oftentimes this dollar changes hands. So if I'm just holding on to all my dollars, velocity is going to be very low. But if I'm like, yeah, like just throwing money at everything, velocity is going to be really high. And so velocity has been low because money has gone into more static assets like real estate, like stocks. The money supply itself is not going to be like net net, oh, flood the markets, like that's going to cause so much inflation. It's going to be how consumers treat that increase in money supply. But net net uh, increase in the money supply is not going to necessarily result in an increase in inflation. To play devil's advocate to myself, we saw in Weimar Republic, right? So this very well-known example of hyperinflation where they just printed mad amount of money that was just basically used to finance war debt. But there wasn't any economic growth to finance that printing of money. So Weimar was not growing. That's when you start to see inflation really become a problem is when money doesn't become productive. And so if that's kind of the situation that we're in with our increase in the money supply, where it doesn't become a productive and it just get, keeps on getting printed, keeps on going, that that could be a problem. But the Fed is beginning to taper, meaning that they're not going to continue to inject money into the economy. We're not getting fiscal policy. We're not getting stimulus checks in the same amount. That is also going to result in less injections of money into the economy too. It's a very, very nuanced conversation. How is it interpreted by the public? And this gets into the idea of expected inflation. So there was a paper from Jeremy Rudd, who's on the Fed, talking about we cannot have people talking about inflation. Like that would be very, very bad. And the thing is that the Fed sort of manifests this 2% expected inflation. So the Fed's like, we want inflation to be at 2% every single year. The Fed kind of manifests that into existence (laughs) by nudging through policy. And so Jeremy Redd is like, we really cannot have people talking about inflation because that's going to get in the way of how the Fed operates. And if you want a a primer on what the Fed does and how they do it, I have that video on the YouTube channel. He was like, the most important thing that we can do to manage inflation is to get people to not talk about it because there's a feedback loop to this idea of expected inflation that ultimately does cause inflation. They can't 
keep on having this narrative be in the public about how inflation is really bad and it's here because then people begin to panic. The Fed loses the narrative and that's when you could see things get really wacky. There's a lot going on right now. We have demographics, we have technological changes, we have globalization. So I think all of that could ultimately be deflationary and that could put pressure on this idea of inflation too. So if, you know, people are getting old, they're not having babies. Technological changes, you know, if we all pop up into the metaverse, like that's gonna, probably gonna be an element of deflationary globalization if we're able to benefit from comparative advantages and supply chains get a little bit better, that's going to be deflationary because we're not gonna be spending the same amount to produce stuff internally in the United States. The change in, in workers, if you do see automation, which I don't know how that's been going, but if you do see automation, that's going to be deflationary as well. How does this compare to countries abroad? So the U.S. had a, just a ton of stimulus. Other countries are experiencing the same amount of pressure, but nobody really, really had the amount of flooding of the economy that we did. I think that's important to note because that's why the U.S. is kind of feeling it right now is because there's just a lot of consumer demand. They got money in their pocket and it's burning a hole. So what are the different types of inflation? So inflation is what I'm talking about. There's also been deflation. So this is very well seen in Japan. So Japan has really tough demographics. They have a huge debt to GDP. Ratio, they have a ton of quantitative easing, a ton of fiscal support, yet they have very low inflation. And this gets into what I just talked about. So, if you have these deflationary pressures like demographics, like your population isn't growing, your economy isn't growing, you're just taking on a bunch of debt to finance everything, that's going to result in a deflationary environment where prices aren't increasing. Kathy Wood, for example, thinks that's where we could be because of demographics and disruptive innovation. There's also stagflation. So this is kind of like the worst possible thing that you could think of. This is high inflation, high unemployment, low growth. And, and this happened in the 1970s. And that was more of like an oil crisis and an energy crisis versus anything. And how they responded to that, how they responded to that from a policy level. So Volcker came in like just swinging barrels and he made everything really expensive. So you had high inflation, you had high unemployment, and you had low growth. He was like, nope, you can't get a loan. It's gonna be very expensive for you to get a loan. The prime lending rate exceeded 21%, which is crazy to think about. Unemployment was in the double digits. The dollar depreciated. It was just a nightmare. And that's what they had to do to stabilize prices. So stagflation, really bad situation. The Fed can't do anything if we're there. Do I think that we're there? It would depend on how, how the labor market turns out. Like if we start seeing really high unemployment levels, compounded by this high inflation if we start seeing lacks the lack of economic growth like that that could be really really bad that's why the fed is being so freaking careful because the labor market is super weird right now like people aren't working and then like also i don't know how true this is but there's sort of this narrative that companies are like, oh, we'll, we'll pay you $20 an hour to come work with us. Please come work with us. And then people will apply, but the companies won't hire them because they still want to get that PPP. They don't want to pay back the PPP loans. And so I think there's a lot of weird stuff going on because of the policies that came out from the pandemic with regards to the labor market. And so that has to normalize before the Fed can probably really do anything. And so it just becomes like such a freaking trade-off. Let's talk about the response, a couple different responses to this idea of inflation. So the Federal Reserve have a whole video on kind of how they do stuff. They have the Fed funds rate, they have reserve requirements, and they have money supply reduction. So they have an average inflation targeting of 2%, but they also have a goal of maximum employment. So they have maximum employment, which would be full employment plus inclusivity in the labor market, plus just different types of equalities. That's also very hard to achieve. The inflation targeting is very hard to achieve. And the Fed also has to deal with the labor market. So they're putting a great deal of faith into the idea that wages are going to be constrained um, and that the whole labor market will resume normal. The issue with the Fed is it's nudge-nudge policy. And right now the Fed is under pressure to 
adjust policy because inflation seems very inflammatory. It seems like they have made a massive misstep and everyone's a little bit worried about what that looks like and what that means. When we think about the Fed and how that ties into fiscal policy, you can look at the Fed balance sheet and it really is interacting with the Treasury. There are two entities that uh, like hold hands and stuff. It's not just the Fed who has to worry about inflationary response, it's fiscal response too. And so this is pretty powerful, what the Treasury does, and this is the fiscal response. So the U.S. Treasury spent north of $6 trillion this year. This will not continue massive deficit in order to finance the way out of the pandemic. They did stimulus checks. They wanted to sustain aggregate demand, which will go away and put a lot less pressure on the whole system. They issue bonds in order to pay for spending. So they're like, okay, it's time for us to go do whatever we want to do. We're going to go issue some bonds. And the Fed is normally on the other side of that equation. Biden came out and was like, don't worry, the shelves will be stocked for Thanksgiving. Those are the fiscal and monetary responses to inflation. And then I think I think, I'm going to say crypto is a government. Crypto is like an entity within itself. And how does crypto respond to inflation? So Bitcoin popped on inflation yesterday, the news, apparently. And then it kind of went back down. It's sort of flatlining. A lot of people think it could be an inflation hedge. I don't know. Sometimes it does seem a little bit correlated to the stock market. But the correlation between gold and Bitcoin has been negative since the summer. But I think Bitcoin is going to be a risk on thing for a lot of people. How do I get away from this like bad government entity? And that is where we're going to see more people go into crypto because you have that risk element. So what is the impact of inflation? Demographics, we have secular headwinds that are going to probably result in some sort of deflationary aspect. This generation is not having babies and that is the like, population doesn't grow. Like inflation isn't going to probably grow alongside that. Globalization, so if we can get the supply chains worked out, if we can you know get uh, better relations with com countries broad, that's going to drive down inflation because of comparative advantages. Then also debt to GDP. This was a question I got asked yesterday. If the U.S. continue to issue debt without growing the economy, it's just not ideal. As long as inflation remains relatively low, there isn't so much to worry about with growing national debt. But if we do see sort of a collapse in, in, in economic growth, that's when debt does become a problem. Inflation helps to reduce the debt burden, but that only works until it doesn't. Then also consumer debt. So the average consumer is actually like much better off than they used to be. So the average credit score is much higher. The types of assets demanded are of higher quality. When I say that, I feel weird because it's like people are demanding meme stonks, but the average consumer is actually a little bit better of a consumer. <laughs> Gross. I actually hate calling people consumers. I, I'll do a whole piece on my opinion on this. But the average consumer is actually much better off than they used to be. What do you do? What do you invest in when there's inflationary worries? So you could get a house. <laughs> if you have a pretty good credit score and you can lock in a fixed rate, that's really good. If you think the house is going to appreciate over time. With stocks, stocks do get hurt by inflation because it eats into their earnings. When inflation rises, stock prices fall, and so the ratio of price to earnings falls. If you see multiples contract, that's not going to be good for stock returns. That's not going to be good for your portfolio. So stocks do get hurt by inflation, but they're also a really good inflation hedge. This was another paper that was recommended by Colin. It's called the best strategies for an inflation hedge. And so it was a research paper. Consumer durable stocks are pretty bad because they just don't have any pricing power. Energy stocks and commodities are good. The main thing here is that um, energy companies tend to be pretty good. Commodities tend to be pretty good in, in inflationary environments. Commodity stocks, so whether that be gold, silver, oil, however do you want to think about it, those, those tend to be pretty good as well. So what's going on here? Everybody's like Fed taper. Fed inflation is getting bad. The Fed is like, no, we're not going to tighten to raise rates until 2022. The bond market, so the Fed fund futures are, are pricing in increasing rates 
even earlier than that, and they're pricing in like 100 basis points of rates increase. And for context, we're at like 25 basis points right now. So it's a little bit spicy. But the issue with how the Fed responds to inflation right now is that we have the supply chain problems. And so they could easily be like, oh, consumers, stop buying goods, stop it, stop it right now. But they cannot go out and fix the supply chain by raising rates. And so right now we have this mismatch between inflationary policy response and what's actually happening with inflation. The Fed can't go out and say boats go get out of the port. That's a policy failure from the ports. That's a policy failure from the local governments, from the federal government on how they manage the supply chain. It's underinvestment in the supply chain. And that is what's the problem. The Fed and the nudge nudge policy of, oh my gosh, raise rates. That's just a signal to everybody that all this money is not going to be as easy to get. You better be careful out there. That's going to be tough. And so a lot of people are being pushed into risky growth investments, right? So they're like, oh, if inflationary pressures are coming, I'm going to go into a riskier investment because I want to capture more upside. We're just seeing narratives begin to devolve. And inflation is a big worry because it's like, it's already expensive to be alive. I don't want it to be even more expensive. And wages are not increasing at the same rate as inflation. We did see people um, are net poorer than they used to be. And average hourly earnings increased 0.4% in October. Inflation increased 0.9%. So you lost money. And that's that's where it gets really tough. If, if inflation outpaces wages for a long time, like it's like net net people, that's bad. Inflation is really hard because it's very tough to predict exactly what people are going to do all the time. Like there's so many different pieces to this. It's so delicate. And it, it might be a monetary phenomenon because we did see a huge increase in the money supply, but we also have underinvestment in capital products that are resulting in things getting more expensive because companies end up pr- passing those prices off to consumers. That's really the main problem. I do think we'll see sustain- higher prices for a while. Transitory would mean that prices don't go back down. Will we see that? Will it be the end of 2022 before prices stop increasing? I don't know. Like seeing beef increase 20% year over year, increase 3% in the last month, like that is concerning. We have to have some sort of policy intervention. So it's just a very, very delicate thing, but I th- everything will be okay. But just so you know, it's very delicate and policy is not perfect. And the Fed nudge nudge might not be how we nudge nudge anymore. Fed has, also has this dual mandate, right? Of inflation and jobs. So they can't be like, oh my gosh, we're just going to respond to inflation because the labor market's so wacky. So if they just go out and they say to everybody like, oh, we'll take care of prices, raise rates, make things harder, then the labor market gets, everyone loses their jobs. That's really bad. There's just a lot of delicateness. So that that's what that's what inflation is. So thanks so much for hanging out. If you want to hit subscribe, that would be super freaking cool. I hope this was helpful and I will be back tomorrow uh, with kind of a piece on uh, valuation and on how we can think of government structures and relative to crypto. But yeah, thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for chilling. I will see you all very soon.